the Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll be doing a little bit of year-end reviewing. We'll be featuring Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Bastards radio show and the Loop at LoopInsight.com. And Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy, on the Tech Night Owl Live. We have Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Bastards radio show and the loop at loopinsight.com. We're doing the requisite year-ender, and I do hope that you've all had a great 2012. This is our last show for the year, and waiting for exciting stuff to come in 2013. Now, we always want to talk, of course, about Apple and how it fared, but obviously we can look at Microsoft and the release of Windows 8 to tepid reviews, the release of the Surface RT tablet to modest sales as an indication that other companies were having problems. We're seeing Apple's stock price, for example, continuing to be down in the dumps, but there are lots of reasons for that, not necessarily because Apple's doing bad, but we're facing that fiscal cliff. There were reports that Christmas sales weren't as good, although that doesn't always affect Apple. Apple kind of lives in the stratosphere. They live in another universe, so things may not affect them quite as the same fashion. But let's look at the low points of Apple, and then we go from there. You know, we start from the bottom and go up. And one of the low points of Apple is presumed to be MapGate. Now, let me tell you a story before we get into MapGate, Peter, and that is just the other day I used Google Maps to take me to the local kosher deli to get some bagels and google maps gave me a route that was correct but it was a convoluted route that involved taking two highways as opposed to the best way would have been to take one highway about a mile from me maybe the mileage wouldn't be that much less but i haven't found perfection in google maps speak to me well, that's right, because, you know, Google Maps is, is not based on, you know, any particular kind of magic. It's, it's data. You know, it's just data and, you know, the optimization of, of routing uh, from point A to point B or whatever points in between you need to get to. Uh, Apple's Maps app works the same way. The only difference is the data set. You know, some people in some parts of the world have found that Apple's Maps application in iOS 6 is lacking um, compared to what they were accustomed to with the the Maps app in iOS 5 that used Google's data. Having said that, uh, that content is constantly being reviewed and constantly being updated. And I've heard plenty of anecdotal reports from people who say that they found a problem with Apple's Maps app one day and the next day it was gone. The next day, you know, an incorrect feature on the map uh, was removed or uh, the routing was updated um, or what have you. So they're they're certainly working to improve it um, over time. But there's no question that Apple has a bit of egg on its face from that rollout. And, uh, you know, every indication is that Tim Cook and the other senior management at Apple really cleaned house to to try to clean up their their software development efforts. As a, at, maybe not as a direct result of that, but as a as a a result of of some issues with Apple software. Now, have you done much comparison testing between Google Maps and Apple Maps? No, I'm a shut-in. I never leave the house, so my use of map, mapping applications in general is pretty low. I've used uh, Apple's Maps app uh, plenty of times since iOS 6 rolled out, and it's always come out fine for me. 
but I live in a you know heavily populated area um, with you know routes that are really well known. So I'm not surprised that in my area I'm not experiencing a lot of problems. Well, here in the Arizona area, I'm just outside of Phoenix, in a fairly decent sized city. So I would think where I live, the mapping capability should be pretty good. But we have therefore Google Maps sending me on a convoluted route to a specific location to the kosher deli the other day sending me on a convoluted route to the local city utility payment office so i could pay my water bill again they added three or four extra turns that weren't necessary i could have taken a more direct route and saved about five minutes on another occasion google maps directed me to a health food store where i wanted to pick up some vitamins and i ended up if i had followed the route and taken it literally two miles short of my destination. But the key is not just having the data. It's got to be some intelligence involved in parsing that data and choosing the best possible route. We know Apple has had some very notorious failures, but I think people are giving Google a pass. I think people are giving Google a pass, too. And I also think that the Apple routing problems or the Apple map problems have been overreported. For example, uh, we heard endless reports uh, several weeks ago about uh, Apple's Maps application getting people lost in the Australian outback. And as it turns out, one person got lost as a result of that. Several other people realized what the problem was right away and fixed it themselves. One person got lost. Uh, but, but to hear it reported, it sounded like the Australian police uh, saw a clear and present danger from Apple Maps and were advising everybody not to use it because people were dying left and right in the outback. And the other issue is, where did that erroneous data come from? The Australian government. What happened a day or two later? A police in another town were warning people not to use Google Maps. Why not use Google Maps? Because it would direct you incorrectly onto a one-way street. So look, if, if it bleeds, it leads. And if, if, if you know there's going to be any shortcoming of Apple Maps, it's going to be reported. And chances are it's going to be overreported. So you're absolutely right, Gene. You know, it's not an indication of media bias against Apple. It's just an indication of predilection of the media to chase a story where it sees a story happening. You know, and, and it, it's it's kind of sorry and sad and, you know, it, it, but it is what it is. And it's, it's the way of the world, unfortunately. And I don't really think that there's a lot that we can do. Well, here's another example of how the media has ignored a story. Okay. Now, when you launch Google Maps for the first time on the iOS and you want to have a navigation to a specific location, this may have changed. So if you don't see it, folks, don't say I lied. I am telling you the truth. And that is you will see a warning that this is a beta product and you have to accept that warning before it gives you the route to your destination. Beta, okay? Now, if Apple had said, hey, folks, Maps is a beta. This is our new product. It's got a wonderful interface, but we know there are going to be problems until you help us build out the data. They wouldn't have had the problem. The problem, I think, was one of perception and bad marketing. We could put the blame on Scott Forstall for telling us how wonderful it was at the June WWDC. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. You're starting to sound like my friend Jim Dalrymple. You know, he has a pithy remark about something, hey, is Apple going to produce this product this year? I don't know. Yup. No. Yes. Well, 
you know, that's self-preservation on Jim's part. He gets himself into as little trouble as possible by not pontificating. But in this particular case, Gene, I I agree with you. So I, I don't really have a lot more to add. Right. I think it's really gotten to a point where it's absurd. There was another absurd story that came out saying that the migration to iOS 6 was much higher after Google Maps was released. And that survey was kind of fouled up because all they were talking about there, ladies and gentlemen, was the fact that there were 2 million new iPhones sold in China in three days, and we assume a few million more since then, and therefore the number of people using iOS had gone up. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, I, you know, it, it, you always have to question the data sources on this sort of stuff. So, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, it, it, it reinforces what I just said a few moments ago, which is that, that the, the media is inherently going to um, chase articles that uh, it thinks are of interest to its readers because uh, that's what drives traffic, you know, and, and that's that's how we make our money. And, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, the truth is the first casualty. Unfortunately, and I think we need more fact checkers for technology articles, but I'll get into that in a moment. We have Peter Cohen. He's from the Angry Mac Bastards radio show. And by the title, you can tell they get to be a little bit upfront with the language. He's also with the Loop at LoopInsight.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. 
time and time again. You need to come here and help us. We need assistance. Please. Those we should be able to depend on let us down. Federal and state and local officials saying help is on the way. Will the folks here in Bell Harbor say show me? Don't depend on the government to save you. Take action now so that you're prepared for the next disaster with MyPatriotSupply.com. Get the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Call 866-229-0927. We are hurting down here, and we need help immediately. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it it certainly does work. That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract. I actually had a huge heart flutter. I was also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time while I was trying to sleep. Heart and body extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation. After my second bottle of heart and body extract, all problems are now gone. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. I ordered a third bottle of heart and body extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working. Order heart and body extract at 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for a long and healthy life. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. Yeah, Peter Cohen of The Loop at loopinsight.com and one of the co-hosts of the Angry Mac Bastards radio show. We were talking about Apple's lows going into Google Maps and how the media has decided that Apple is bad, Google is good. And I want to just bring up one subject parenthetically here. There's an article that Google Apps is challenging Microsoft in business that Google Apps, which is basically a set of collaboration tools, conferencing, and several apps that, in a rough fashion, mimic the Office apps, okay? So up till recently, it was $50 per person for business users. They were giving a free version away, but the free version is no longer being given away, whatever. They are competing against, of course, Microsoft's 365 service, Office 365, which is an online cloud-based service for Microsoft Office. And although, of course, Google is not getting near as much business as Microsoft does in terms of desktop software because the Office suite is one of the biggest income generators for Microsoft, they're getting some key advantages. Like, for example, one of the conquests of Google is for a division of Berkshire Hathaway. And we'll tell you why that's significant. Tens of thousands of licenses for Google Apps. Okay, now, Berkshire Hathaway, of course, they own Geico, Little Gecko Insurance. They're owned by Warren Buffett. He's the head of the company, and he's a close friend of Bill Gates. 
<laughs> but a division of the company went to Google. What do you think about that? You know, I, I don't know what to think about it um, specifically. I think that, that we've seen a lot of willful ignorance um, on the part of uh, otherwise smart, perceptive people in the tech media about what Google is doing and, and what Google's endgame is um, in all this. You know, for, for, for another practical example, I've, I've seen it endlessly reported this year that uh, Google is beating the hell out of uh, Apple um, in market share uh, for phones and even tablets now. But when you actually take a look at revenue, no, they're not. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not doing well, and nor are their, um, their hardware manufacturing partners uh, doing particularly well. Other than Samsung, of course. Well, yeah, Samsung's doing okay, but even they aren't doing remarkably well. They don't have an end-to-end -end ecosystem. They're selling a hardware device, and that's all that they're selling. They don't have a store uh, where they're selling this stuff from. You know, Google has that, but, you know, it's, 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 it's a complete uh, uh, quagmire of malware and, uh, you know, products that, that uh, uh, don't work right or haven't been tested on a wide variety of hardware. It's, you know, Windows 3.1 all over again. It's just, it's, it's just horrifying, some of the stuff that people have to put up with on the Android end of things. So, Google, whatever. The key being, of course, here is that I don't know why people like Google so much. Is it because they are hardwired to hate Apple? We understand hating Microsoft. That's very easy to do. But right now, it doesn't look like Microsoft is doing anything wrong in terms of what they want to do. They might be failing with Windows 8 and Windows Phone 8, but they're trying to be different. Google, on the other hand, is perceived as being so great, whereas... Apple invents a technology or a style. Google apes it, and Google's the hero? You know, there's going to be a certain segment of the population that doesn't like Apple just on, 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 on general principle. And, and they, they certainly exist in the Android world. You know, Android fanboys are an unfortunate part of, of, uh, of daily life for the... Uh, uh, for for the Mac user who spends a lot of time online talking about the Mac, I know I come across them virtually every day of of my life. But the vast majority of people who buy Android products are like the vast majority of people who buy Apple products. They're not converted to a way of life or a way of thinking. They're simply using products. You know, in, in, in the case of Android, most Android phone owners I know bought it because it's a smartphone and it does what they want it to do and they got it cheap from the vendor that they bought it from. They don't give a crap that it's running Android. They don't give a crap that, uh, you know, if they could have gotten an Apple phone for, for the same price or for less that matched for the specific features that they were looking for, nine times out of ten they would have done that. And, you know, if you look at it very fairly and very carefully – and this is a serious consideration here. You're looking at the way people buy these phones. They'll look at the price, or the salesperson will say, all right, get this one. And maybe he's getting a spiff. Maybe he's getting a higher commission if he sells you the Samsung as opposed to Apple, where there is no spiff. You know, you don't know the motives involved there. And as you say, people will buy on price or perceive features. They'll say, well, this has an 8-megapixel camera, but it's only... 
$50 is not $100 or something like that. Or Apple has a walled garden. They don't let you do what you want. Well, walled garden being you have 750,000 apps and they're not riddled with malware. That's the kind of walled garden that we like. Yeah, it is. But you know what? Apple's uh, little walled garden is is subject to problems. I noticed about a a week ago a a reader um, sent a link to me um, showing that that an app had shown up in the App Store, had gotten through Apple's much vaunted um, uh, screening process uh, as Halo 4, quote unquote, and borrowed screenshots and copy uh, directly from the, the, um, the Halo 4 marketing materials. But what it really was was somebody from the Pacific Rim had just, you know, made a chess app and submitted it with this fake copy, and it had gotten through Apple's process just fine. People were downloading this thing for five bucks for a chess app that was worth nothing. We're not expecting perfection. We understand Apple's got problems. Apple has to look at thousands of apps, and they will make decisions. They will make wrong decisions. They'll let apps go in there. But this app might have been counterfeit, might have been plagiarized, but it didn't have malware, did it? As far as I know. So at least that's a saving grace. <laughs> yeah, I guess if, if, you, uh, if you want to look at it that way, Gene, sure. No, we understand they make mistakes. But you have to look at... An imperfect process that's, what, 95% perfect? I don't know. We can come up with any figure. Now let's look at the process that's involved over at Google, where there's very, very casual methods of curating apps. They're barely curated, and you don't know what you're getting. You don't know if you're not getting, like, the 90th version of, of Angry Birds. I haven't even tried the first version of Angry Birds, so forgive me for mentioning that, ladies and gentlemen. It's because it's a popular app. Or they'll have ringtones or something else. You don't get the rich selection. Yeah, there are key apps like Amazon's Kindle eBook Reader. It's available, of course, on iOS. It's available on, of course, the Android OS. You have apps like that, which companies develop for both platforms because they want to get the largest number of users. A little bit later on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll be featuring Kirk McElhern. He will also present his version of a year-end review. And we'll have so much more coming with none other than Peter Cohen on the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio. DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. 
Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with wise foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Or go to BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. We travel so much, and having a fake TV, well, it gives added peace of mind. Burglars look for houses that appear to be easy targets, but fake TV can fool even professional burglars into thinking someone is home watching television. As a recent widow living alone, it gives me great peace of mind to set my fake TV near a window and know that passing motorists and pedestrians will think someone is home watching TV when I'm actually away from home. Fake TV easily plugs into any outlet just like a light on a timer. And they're so easy to use. You just plug them in and they're ready to go. Plus, they're so affordable that we have one upstairs and downstairs. Fake TV is only $34.95 and makes a great Christmas gift. Order your fake TV by calling 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. That's 877-532-5388 or faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. You've come to expect winter specials from Herbal Healer Academy, and we're not going to let you down. Battle through cold and flu season with powerful, natural, and safe flu fighters. Antivirals like olive leaf extract capsules and elderberry power. Vitamin D3, 180 caps, only $9. Beta-glucans and an incredible immune system booster. Our own four-herb tea capsules and Respa 8, all specially priced during the winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Also, exclusive homeopathic detoxes for lungs, kidneys, liver, whole body, and lymph are on sale. Herbal Healer Academy offers correspondence courses to teach you how to handle your health naturally. And as always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on and save big now when you hit the winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time since 1988. Celebrating 25 years in service to the natural health care industry. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Pastures Radio Show on the Loop at loopinsight.com. Looking at Apple's low points now, we went past maps where I think we both agree that Google is getting a pass. What else do you think that Apple could have done better in 2012? Well, I think that I think that uh, the the rollout of the um, iPad, the fourth generation iPad, still has me scratching my head. You know, we had gotten accustomed to thinking of the iPad as an annual refresh, something that was uh, uh, that was updated once a year. And Apple kind of came out of nowhere and um, 
uh, introduced a fourth generation iPad um, at the same time that it introduced the iPad Mini. And you know, I think it's one thing with a phone to 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 do, to do that because people subsidize um, the the price of their phones. At least we do here in the United States. Uh, by entering a contract with our cell service provider, which allows us to pay a lot less than that phone is worth. Your iPhone, if you've got a brand new iPhone, an iPhone 5, is worth $600 at least. You've only paid $200 for it because you've agreed to a two-year contract with your service provider unless you are one of the very few who have bought it unlocked. And and you have agreed to pay them over the course of, of, of your two-year contract uh, for the use of that phone. And if you exit out of that contract early, you are assessed a, a penalty fee. So if you exit your contract early before the two-year period's up, you're assessed an early termination fee. That's to recoup the cost of the hardware, partly. You know, so we can kind of get into this, this mindset of, of refreshing our phones annually or at least semi-annually, because we're paying a fairly small amount. The iPad 3 comes out in, uh, you know, at the, the, the first part of the year. It's the same $500 iPad. It, are, it always has been, but, you know, a lot more if you want to buy all the bells and whistles and get maximum storage capacity. And then, blam, this fall, our iPad 4 comes out, and iPad 4 is, you know, better still than the iPad 3 was, and it's left iPad 3 owners... Uh, feeling like um, they they were just kind of left holding the bag. Now we're already hearing rumors that Apple is going to uh, refresh the iPad again in the spring with the iPad 5. Uh, you know, we, we must take rumors with a grain of salt, but assuming that, um, that past is prologue and Apple does do another mid-year refresh uh, of the iPad, uh, what are we left to think, uh, you know, about bringing out these new products so quickly? It's giving people... Uh, who have bought them, undoubtedly a sense of buyer's remorse. Plus, it's also, I'm sure, making more than a few consumers gun-shy about buying a new one if they think that another new one is going to come out in only a few months. Well, maybe Apple felt that in introducing the iPad Mini, they needed to keep the full-size iPad current to keep sales up because the Mini is cannibalizing big time, isn't it? The Mini is cannibalizing which big time? Well, there is a perception, and I'll grant it's not a perception that's necessarily true, that the existence of the iPad Mini is taking sales away from the full-sized iPad. At least that's a perception. There's actually very little evidence of that, Gene. Well, I think there may have been a fear here that Apple also saw more competition in the tablet space, and they felt, therefore, that they had to keep the technology up. There's a story quoting... Mark Andreessen, the guy from Netscape, who I think is a venture capitalist or something nowadays, and he said the difference between Tim Cook and Steve Jobs is Tim Cook is more inclined to look at market share and emphasize it, and so made a decision here, let's get this thing upgraded now. That doesn't mean there's going to be another iPad in the spring. No, it doesn't. Like I said, the rumors are starting, and the problem is that um, Apple refreshed the iPad, the full-sized iPad, twice this past year in 2012. So Apple's actions feed that cycle of suspicion. So it can make people gun-shy about buying a new product. 
you know, why should I buy a full-size iPad right now if they're just going to refresh it again in a few months? But look at the Android space where they refresh every hour. With a new product, sure. Right. Apple is the sole vendor for the iPad. We understand that. But we also understand that if people become accustomed to an Apple routine, then you break the routine. Oh, well. Well, let's just consider this here. We're talking here about Apple giving people the impression they would upgrade the iPad every year. So suddenly it's done in seven, eight months, shy of a year. Does that mean that Apple now has changed the cycle and will not change that product again until the fall? Or is the competition so fierce and upgrading so regularly they have to keep up? I think that um, Apple is certainly compelled to uh, uh, make sure that um, the the iPad is uh, is competitive with um, other products in the marketplace. You know, like it or lump it. You know, Android tablets are a big thing now, and and Apple's got to make sure that it's it's keeping pace with um, with with development on that side of things. But Apple has proven time and again that they won't let um, their uh, product refresh schedule be dictated anything by anything other than their own whims. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why Apple felt that it was necessary to refresh the iPad twice in 2012. I don't think we can necessarily infer from that that a spring refresh uh, for the iPad is coming. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see what happens over time. It wouldn't surprise me if Apple uh, surprises the, 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 the rumor mills that are saying that there's going to be um, an iPhone refresh in the spring and doesn't do it because that's what happened with the iPhone 5. You know, the iPhone 4S came out in fall of 2011, and we didn't see another iPhone until this past fall. So there you go. Of course, I don't for a moment believe that Apple does that just to freak out customers. I think in the case of the iPhone 4S, the biggest delay in getting out the new model may have been iOS 5 because Apple wanted to have iOS 5 ship with it. It could, of course, have also been perfecting Siri, not that Siri is perfect, but making it less imperfect. And remember here also, since we mentioned it with regard to Google Maps, Siri remains a beta. It's not obvious. Sometimes you have to look at Apple's website to find that beta label it's still there, or was there as of the last time I checked a few days ago? Yeah, that's, I've, I've heard that theory before, and it's certainly um, uh, a possibility. I think Apple does that. I think Apple needs to be consistent. They want to be consistent with regard to their getting the product and the OS releases in sync with one another, not selling you a product with the old version of the OS and then having you download the new one. All right, I understand the exceptions, like the iPad's an exception in terms of the new operating system, but that's the way it's worked with the iPhone. It's not so much a difficulty with Macs, but with the iOS and the smartphones. Except, of course, in this case with the iPad, they threw that on its ear. With their decision to release the iPad for, I guess, four to six months before people expected it to arrive. Yeah, yeah. So now when it comes to the premature release or the early release of the iPhone 4, let's chalk that up as your perception that Apple kind of missed the boat on that one, that 
Apple maybe rushed too fast. Maybe the competitive pressures put them there. Maybe as a result, at least with tablets, not with smartphones, Apple is now forced to do these upgrades more often, and people are going to have to get used to it. You know, okay, so it's going to happen every six or eight months. It doesn't mean you never buy the product. Because I think a person who has an iPad 3 and iPad 4 will look at them. They look the same except for the lightning connector. I know, folks, we're not going to get into the ongoing debate about the lightning connector, about switching the connectors after, what, 10 years? It's going to be faster. It's going to be measurably faster. And that's wonderful that something is measurably faster. For most people, they're not going to look at that geeky stuff. It still works fine. I wonder if the Pope, with his iPad, is now wanting to get a fourth-generation model to do his tweets. We have Peter Cohen joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com What do you do when your propane runs out and you don't have a large amount of wood for cooking? That's when you need a Grover Rocket Stove from StockStorage.com. The Grover Rocket Stove starts easily with any combustible material like junk mail, small twigs, leaves, weeds, or dry sagebrush. Then just add a small amount of kindling wood and you'll be cooking entire meals in minutes. Grover Rocket Stoves are made right here in the USA and are built to last a lifetime using heavy-duty thick-gauge steel and are painted with high-temp paint to withstand heat. Go to StockStorage.com and see three great Grover Rocket Stoves, stainless steel, heavy-duty, or our original Grover Rocket Stove for only $135 and get free shipping to the lower 48. For phone orders, call 801-361-6984 or go to StockStorage.com. That's 801-361-6984 or StockStorage.com. The original Grover Rocket Stove Minimal Wood Use Cooking Stoves. Available exclusively from StockStorage.com. Attention, this is an announcement for our listeners who drive gasoline vehicles. Federal Consumer Protection has confirmed that there is now an automotive accessory that exceeds its own fuel-saving claims. Consumer Protection has confirmed that most gasoline vehicles will get 22% more miles per gallon with an accessory called Platinum 22. To find out if Platinum 22 will give your vehicle 22% more miles per gallon, you should call 1-800-LESS-GAS. You heard me correctly, 1-800-LESS-GAS. You heard me. Federal Consumer Protection has confirmed that the Platinum 22 accessory will deliver 22% more miles per gallon to most gasoline vehicles. You should pick up the phone and call 1-800-LESS-GAS to find out if it will help your vehicle. 
That's 1-800-L-E-S-S-G-A-S. 1-800-L-E-S-S-G-A-S. 22% more miles per gallon. 1-800-LESS-GAS. Alex Jones here with a message that could revolutionize health in this country. Going back about a year and a half ago, I began to learn about the incredible health effects of Longevity products. Aaron Dykes lost 92 pounds. We're going to show you some before and afters. Aaron, break down what happened, your story. I've worked really hard with diet and exercise to try to lose weight, but I just didn't get the results. It just didn't happen. Then I saw what you were doing with InfoWarsTeam.com. I wasn't even trying to lose weight, but I got it because I wanted to feel better energy. I wanted that nutrition. Didn't even understand how that could kickstart my own weight loss goals, but the products did that for me. I found myself suddenly losing weight, more energetic, wanting to exercise, wanting to eat the right foods. And they don't even advertise it as weight loss. I want to challenge our radio listeners to go to InfoWarsTeam.com. Sign up as a distributor and get wholesale pricing discounts at InfoWarsTeam.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Peter Cohen joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Owl Live here and a review last show for the year. Okay, so one of the low points you indicated was getting that iPad 4 out prematurely, whatever. What else? I don't know. I don't think that Apple had a, a ridiculous amount of low points this past year. All in all, it was a, a good year for them in terms of refreshing products. The only other thing that I would complain about is the, the length of time it's taking um, to see Apple refresh the Mac Pro, uh, which is way, way, way too long on the tooth. Yeah. Now, they had kind of like an almost non-existent refresh, if you get my point, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, they've uh, certainly made major changes to the rest of their product line. You know, the MacBook Pros uh, saw major changes this year, uh, the elimination of optical drives and and more of an emphasis on uh, solid-state storage in that lineup. Uh, the iMacs, of course, have gone super thin. They're gorgeous. The Mac Minis have been refreshed. But the Mac Pro is still plodding on with a machine that is fundamentally unchanged since 2006. It is a very old design. It's very long in the tooth. All signs point to major changes for 2013, uh, but I guess, uh, you know, as they say, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. We actually want to have a product in our hands um, to, to take a look at and, and, and use. I still think that the Mac Pro fits a very important uh, niche within Apple's ecosystem, and, and I want to see Apple continue uh, with its uh, sales and development of that particular product. And we have the promise... An email message from Tim Cook that there will be an upgrade. They don't have to necessarily call it a Mac Pro. I suppose they will. But looking at the Mac Pro, we understand what the requirements are. We want upgradability. We want a pair of optical drive bays, even if you don't give people optical drives. You want three or four hard drives. You want several PCI slots. I understand a lot of that can be replaced with Thunderbolt on other Macs, other than the internal, obviously, optical drives. We understand that. But people want that basic configuration. But you can do that in a much smaller case. I think it's oversized. I think it's oversized and overpowered as well, Gene. Uh, you know, I, I have one. I, you have one as well, right? No. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, I had a 2008 Mac Pro. 
and I sold it to someone you and I both know very well, a rather well-known contributor to the Mac universe. He bought it. He loves it. I used that money, and I gave them a product package that included the Mac Pro, fairly well-loaded, with a 30-inch display. I went out, this was in late 2009, and bought the 2009 iMac and got $300 change and a faster computer. There you go. Yeah, you you can't lose with a deal like that. So, uh, but you had one. I use one. I still use one to this day, and it, it takes up so much space on my desktop. I think that Apple could probably get away with a smaller case design as well. But it, you're you're right also that that uh, people who are purchasing pros, and I don't even think really a lot of. I mean, the the number of actual consumers purchasing pros is infinitesimal. They're used in professional settings and uh, you know the the companies the businesses who are buying them are buying them for specific features like uh, the ability to add uh, PCI cards for special um, input and output capabilities that aren't built into the Mac and you're right that you can get away with some of this with Thunderbolt but not everything you know people are still going to want fiber channel cards for example um, to be able to hook into high speed raid arrays can't uh, you do that though with thunderbolt and kind of a breakout box you can but thunderbolt and breakout boxes reduce in, or, or produce an an additional layer of complexity that some people are just going to be uh reluctant uh to impose in their work environments so um, I still think that there's a call for it, but uh, yeah, they could they could probably shrink the box. I would love to see them shrink the box a little bit anyway. Well, let's remember now the original Macintosh 2, the most powerful computer on the planet, say in 1989, 1990, had what, six Nubus slots, memory slots, everything, big looking computer, although not as big as a Mac Pro. It weighed 24 pounds. Yes, it was a monster, followed by the 2X, which was a... Which is the same thing, but then they had the CX, which was almost half the size, kind of reduced number of slots, but more than most people needed, slightly less performance, but only slightly. And then they had the CI, which was the, the upgraded version with faster... Which I think that a lot of people who were Mac users of that era would cite as one of the most important, if not the most important, Macintosh of that generation of computers. I had a 2CI, and you had all sorts of wonderful ways to improve performance. You had a cache card. Now, right now, of course, processors today have onboard caches, but you had a separate cache card, get 10 20% better improvement, everything a little snappier. Then you had accelerator cards where you put a whole new processor in there, and you got even further performance improvements. I think the 2CI could be a little flaky, Let's be honest, it was something that was the first 32-bit clean Mac, so you could put more memory into it, and we think 32-bit, now we've got 64-bit. But, you know, we're talking about 1989, 1990. And, yes, I was a big booster of the 2CI. So we see this evolution. We haven't seen this evolution uh, in the Pro Desktop line um, since since Apple introduced the original Pro. And I think that that is... Um, Mainly due to the shift of in 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 focus at Apple from uh, you know it's what was at one time the its mainstay you know which was the professional uh, graphic design illustration desktop publishing and uh, pro music and video market to a consumer market where it's made a lot more money I cannot fault them 
um, for for doing that. Uh, but it it has meant that uh, some of the wonderful toys that uh, that we Mac geeks like have kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. Anyway, so the point being here that Apple has also done things with the iMac that took it beyond the basic focus as just a simple consumer computer using mobile innards. Because today's iMac is amazingly powerful, and for most uses, it's just as good or better than a Mac Pro. I mean, there are certain areas where Mac Pro exceeds it. But a lot of professional users can take an iMac and say, that's it, that's what I need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and but, but now more than ever, I think Apple, we can see Apple if we can peer through the, uh, the veil a little bit. Uh, we see Apple trying to differentiate what people are doing with iMacs from what people do with Mac Pros. Uh, in, in this past generation of iMac, for example, Apple took away some of the, uh, uh, the core capability of iMacs, like removing the optical drive, it, making it even thinner. You know, it's barely more than a screen now, although the performance has been enhanced and there are new features like Fusion Drive, which pairs... SSD with uh, conventional hard disk to try to give you a performance boost when you're reading and writing data. Um, these are great things, and these are wonderful things. But there are also features, uh, the, the, the slim size of it, uh, the lack of an optical drive. I think that that's something that you're not going to see in a Mac Pro. It'll give Apple an opportunity to kind of differentiate those devices a little bit. So, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right that, that the iMac has replaced the Mac Pro in a lot of environments, but it gives Apple an opportunity in the same token. Okay, the best things that Apple did for 2012. We know the worst things, the things that we hoped for in 2013, like a revised Mac Pro, a major revision of some sort to make it even better. Okay, what are the best things Apple did for 2012? Well, I think that the uh, iPhone 5 is fantastic. Um, I think that that, that was uh, uh, a job well done by Apple. They managed to um, uh, answer many of the critical things that people had said about the um, the iPhone. You know, its its size compared to some of its uh, Android competitors, uh, without fundamentally changing. Um, the iPhone in a way that would be jarring or uncomfortable for people. It was an evolutionary design, not a revolutionary one, uh, which was very smart on Apple's part. Uh, meantime, making it thinner, introducing the new lightning connector, um, and uh, you know, making it faster, of course. Uh, so th- that was great. Um, I love what Apple's done with the iMac as well. I think it's a fantastic-looking machine. I, I'm just jealous of people who can afford to buy one because I can't. Uh, I would love to put one on my desktop right now. I just priced out like an ideal 2012 27-inch iMac configuration with, the course, the Fusion Drive and 16 gigabytes of RAM and the best graphics card and the best processor. came up to between $2,700 and $2,800. But <laughs> got to win a lottery for that one. Exactly. Exactly. But, but I'll do it. You know, eventually, I guess I'll find a way. We have Peter Cohen, who always finds a way to tell you that he's with the Angry Mac Bastards radio show on the loop at loopinsight.com. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Are 
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, other high points with Apple, with Peter Cohen on the Tech Night Owl Live. Let us continue. Well, Mountain Lion has been, I think, a very solid upgrade for Apple, and it's been the, the least expensive OS X upgrade that we've seen. In that respect, I also want to give kudos to Apple for a job well done there. Um, you know, there were a lot of complaints about Lion, and I don't think that a lot of uh, uh, users who I've spoken with in, uh, over the course of the past year were necessarily happy with Lion stability issues and, and some other problems that, that came up. Uh, but Mountain Lion has been a remarkably smooth transition. Um, I know I actually leapfrog Lion on several of the machines that I have to take care of in my house and went straight to Mountain Lion with no ill effects whatsoever. So I would, I would say Mountain Lion was another solid um, uh, example of Apple really firing on all cylinders. Point and counterpoint. As a lot of our readers and listeners know, I've had an audio distortion problem with Mountain Lion, where if I'm using outboard audio, like from a mixer, I'm using either USB or line in on my iMac, sometimes the sound gets distorted, got to play around to get it back. So that's rather frustrating. Usually what I do, the final solution, is to change the input. You know, I could use my analog mixer either from USB using the Griffin Technologies iMic, which is a 
beautiful product, by the way. They've been making it for years, and I recommend it to anyone who wants to bring audio in and out using USB, and especially for the 2012 iMac, which doesn't have an audio input jack. Why? That's a low point for Apple. So, yeah. But that's the bug, the audio distortion bug. I change from USB to line in or back again to get it fixed temporarily. I think if you do a search for audio distortion under Mountain Lion, you're going to find a lot of tidbits, very irritating problems that a lot of people are having since installing Mountain Lion, maybe due to the way that Apple is handling the support for audio hardware. By the way, we just had the problem again. Just a moment ago, suddenly I was really sounding really bad, according to Peter Cohen. So the distortion came and went. It's kind of frustrating. But, you know, we're looking at high points here, a lot of the things that Apple did. Now, any other points for Apple in their favor before we go on to projections about 2013? Hmm. No, no, those, those were my high points, I think. Okay, 2013. We already went into the revision for the Mac Pro. Do we assume there's going to be a 109 in the summer of 2013, that Apple is now on this annual operating system trek? I don't know. I think Apple may announce something uh, as coming, but I, I don't necessarily see it um, in, in in the cards for uh, 2013 release. I could be totally wrong on that. I'm not privy to any of this, but um, uh, but we'll see. Well, let's look at the way Mountain Lion developed. Did Mountain Lion come into being because Apple felt Lion was not good enough to keep around for two years. They needed a modification to improve some of the shortcomings and add some new features. Is that the reason, kicking and screaming into Mountain Lion? It's really a glorified service pack? Well, no. I think that, that Apple um, uh, very smartly wants to make incremental changes to uh, the operating system that, that, that powers its computer. So in that respect, I'm going to contradict what I just said. And say, so, yeah, it's entirely possible that OS 10.9 uh, 10, uh, 10. is 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 in the works. I mean, I know that early builds uh, of it have been um, cited on rumor sites and so on. So it's 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 out there in the world. Um, but uh, you know, Apple uh, has been making incremental changes to its operating system for some time now, and it makes sense to drop these um, in, in regular digestible releases that you can download from the Mac App Store. So, you know, in that respect, you don't want to go too long. Otherwise, uh, it's a big transition for people, and I don't think that they want to deal with that. So for the customer, if you keep the price cheap enough, it's easier to have it done on an annual basis rather than every two years. Well, the numbers prove that. Uh, you know, OS uh, 10, 10.8 adoption rates uh, have Mountain Lion... Uh, adoption rates have been fantastic. Um, you know, millions of people have downloaded it, um, and and uh, you know, Apple's well on its way. I think at this point to seeing um, um, it really broad adoption for that. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the easier that Apple makes makes it for people to upgrade, the more people will upgrade. The only problem that they run into, customers, I mean, is uh, if their machine doesn't pass muster and can't upgrade. Well, the other problem would be from developers. Developers suddenly have to make changes to support the new OS. That could be the same thing, but they've been doing that with iOS. And I wonder, when is Apple just going to make OS X free? Why even charge for it anymore? 
Well, I think that um, as as low as the barrier that they, I mean, and you know, I I I wonder this myself, Gene, because when you even compare, I, I think that 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 uh, uh, Apple is just paying for bandwidth. You know, that's the only thing that I can figure out it, at the rates that they're charging um, for. Uh, uh, for 10.8, I can't imagine it's it's adding a lot more incrementally to their bottom line. Although I could be totally wrong on that, um, because obviously the only way to get 10.8 is to download it through the Mac App Store. But when you compare the cost of getting 10.8 to, let's say, Windows 8, there's no question that it it benefits the consumer uh, because it's 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 a it's literally um, a. a uh, um, a, uh, a a purchase that you don't even have to think about. It's it, it costs a little, as opposed to something like Windows 8, where you know you're still uh, paying more than a hundred dollars. Yeah, but there is a special offer now for thirty nine ninety nine till January thirty first to get Rush upgrades. And if you bought a PC, say a few months before Windows 8 was released, you pay what fifteen ninety nine to get the upgrade. So perhaps Microsoft is following suit. I didn't even realize that. That's great. Yeah, but it's temporary. After January 31st, you still have to pay 100 and whatever dollars. So it becomes ever more concentrated and ever more complicated. And maybe you have to look at, with Windows 8, the customer adoption rate when they release it is not going to sound real good. That's my projection. And it's one that's borne out by early surveys of sales and everything. Indeed, indeed. Yet another feather in the cap of uh, of um, uh, Steve Ballmer. Oh yeah, that guy's got to go. <laughs> Is that the, why he got rid of the head of Windows division? He was afraid he had competition over there. Ah, uh, gosh, I, I have no idea. I don't really keep up on on uh, Microsoft politics that much. I'm aware of the the executive shuffle, but uh, have nothing to say about it. Okay, so looking at possible new products for 2013, the second-generation iPad Mini's got to have a Retina display, right? A high-resolution display. I don't know if I would go so far as Retina display, but that's certainly been an easy target for critics uh, of the iPad Mini thus far who feel that it's not up to, uh, 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 to, to pass muster compared with the iPhone 5 or the full-sized iPad. All right, so we have to assume probably it will. I mean, that's the most obvious change. With the regular iPad, the most obvious change is to make it lighter and thinner. Yes. Lighter, thinner, faster, better. Faster is pretty good now, I think, lighter and thinner. Now, I've been making a wish list or two for iOS 7 for next year. And one of the things I think Apple needs to do is to have a better multitasking system for the iPad where you can switch among documents. You can have more than one document up at a time. Traditional OS X, Mac OS multitasking, something closer to that in concept. Because remember, the original compact Mac had a 9-inch screen with a much lower resolution than the 9.7-inch screen on the iPad. You've got the space there. People want to use it for work. You can't have just one document. Yeah, and this is, uh, uh, again, an area that Apple is starting to come up short against um, when you compare it to, um, to, to, to Android devices. We have to well, do our break now, and we'll go into more of that. 
Later on, neighbors, we'll be hearing from Kirk McElhern. He, of course, is the iTunes guy from Macworld. We have Peter Cohen joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Owl Live. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years, hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. American gardeners and fellow patriots make the right choice with your money, time, and your family food supply. Choose 100% pure heirloom seeds in the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. Why spend more? The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com is only $37.95 and includes 20 varieties of pure, hardy, easy-to-grow heirloom seeds. Yes, only $37.95. That's 70% less than our competitors. You could buy three Survival Seed Vaults for less than one of theirs. The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com includes detailed planting and seed saving instructions and ships same day plus all orders over $49 ship free mypatriotsupply.com is american owned by patriots like you passionate about freedom and preparedness call now 866-229-0927 that's 866-229-0927 or discover more emergency preparedness items when you order at mypatriotsupply.com choose the original choose the survival seed vault at mypatriotsupply.com Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient 
nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganix.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganix, life's getting better. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. Year-end review roundup projections for 2013 with Peter Cohen of the Angry Mac Message Radio Show on the Loop at LoopInsight.com. Not much time left, and the one issue he raised before we did the break, the fact is that the Android OS has the ability to run multiple apps and separate windows and everything. So this is one of the features where Apple comes up short. I suspect because they wanted to get performance down first or build up the hardware so it can handle all the extra real estate and tasks. Well, yes, and uh, you know it's entirely possible that that uh, Apple just didn't see it as a big deal. But uh, one thing worth pointing out is that it is going to have an impact on battery life. So uh, you know that's something that Apple's got to address. And you know, battery life um, on these devices is uh, you know a, a problem that's not going to go away because battery development is not progressing nearly as fast as uh, the development of faster processors or the development of, of more dense flash uh, storage um, and, and, and memory. So this is a, a problem that Apple is going to have to deal with uh, head-on one way or the other. And people are going to be very disappointed if a new iPad is released that can do all these wonderful things, but then only lasts for uh, you know three or four hours on a single battery charge. So Apple has to develop ways to get more battery life. Maybe the next iPad will, of course, have more battery life because of more power efficiencies. But right now, they need to get the reduction of battery life manageable, deal with it in a better way, more efficiently. And we understand that. Again, it's a resource thing. It's being able to do it fast enough. It's being able to do it and not sacrifice battery life. But Apple works miracles. We expect they'll do it. Yeah, we do. We have that kind of belief. Okay, for OS 10.9, assuming it's going to come next year, the year after, whatever, what would you like to see changed? Well, the, the most obvious addition would be the addition of Siri. Let me ask a question of our Oracle, okay? Oh, great Oracle. Will Siri... Ap- <laughs> it's not letting me finish. I found 15 places matching Oracle. They're you, pretty... F- wait a minute, you're being premature. Okay, folks. So <laughs> let's ask the Oracle. Not looking for Oracle, but okay. Oh, great Oracle! I want to know whether Siri should appear on OS 10. Let's see. I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, and you're gonna stay on it. I'll tell you, we don't want to get into that kind of language because this is a user-friendly kind of show, family-friendly. But the Oracle doesn't know. No, no. There you go, folks. It's it's official. You, hear, you heard it here first. Siri says that she's on it when we asked her if she'll be on OS 10. Except, unfortunately, <laughs> she's not the one who runs the OS team. Yeah, indeed. 
So, no, joking aside, theory would, would seem to be an obvious choice uh, for 10.9. Beyond that, I, I don't really, you know, have a lot of ideas. I'm curious to see what Apple's going to come up with. Yeah, I would like to see what Apple has with that. One projection was to have the Maps API incorporated into OS X, so you can get some mapping software there, too. Big deal. You know, I'm really concerned about the overemphasis of this. I mean, for so many years, I lived with roadmaps, and I made up my own routes. Or I went to AAA, and I had routes. Now, we surrender that to Google. Oh, great, Google Oracle, you must give us the right directions to get to a place. But they don't, always. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a certain amount of truth in that. Plus, there's also um, some, some, some fun in just getting lost. Yeah, well, it's fun unless <laughs> unless you get lost in a place you want to get lost in. But even then, I think the biggest thing about it is to just have a reality check. Don't accept blindly what a navigation app is going to tell you. You know, use a little common sense. Double check it. And remember also with Siri and Apple's maps, you could get a printout, you know. If you have an e-print printer or using one of those third-party software packages that allow you to print from your iPhone or iPad onto your Mac desktop and use your regular printer. That's what I do. I print the thing out and I take a look at it, especially if I'm going on a long trip and I don't know the complete route. If I'm going on a long trip or a place I've never been to before, I'm going to double-check where that route takes before I go because I know that we're dealing with software and algorithms and thousands of possible or millions of possible requests it makes mistakes and i think if we blindly trust the oracles like i said google or even apple or MapQuest, which is aol by the way we're going to get ourselves in trouble more times than you might expect well i think a dose of healthy skepticism is good it doesn't necessarily mean we need to drop into abject paranoia at any point or another but um you know, skepticism of any technology that, that we become dependent on is, is, is important, I think. I agree, and we have to hope things will get better as we move along and that Apple will address a lot of interesting things with the next OS. The question is here, of course, about iOS integration. you think Apple's going to go further or say, you know, it's gonna, just going to be gradual? We can't make the desktop operating system the same as the mobile operating system. Microsoft be damned. Oh, absolutely. I don't think that um, there's any question that Apple will continue to integrate features of both operating systems on the other um, as long as they see some benefit to doing it. I don't think that they're going to do it blindly. I flatly disagree with critics who think that um, we are headed for a grand unification of both operating systems. But I think that uh, that, that we're going to continue to see overlap where uh, Apple's best practices for OS X are going to make their way into iOS and Apple's best practices for iOS are going to make their way back into OS X. Okay, one more time, the prediction. I think we talked about this before, but we might as well just do it again since it's the last show you're doing this year with us. Apple Smart TV, going to happen? Absolutely not. So is it going to be just uh, spruced up Apple TV or just take the existing Apple TV and add more apps to it? I think it's going to be either a spruced-up Apple TV or a device like the Apple TV. Uh, But I don't see Apple uh, releasing a TV set. I kind of agree with you, and I think part of the reason is that Apple can offer only one improvement to existing TV sets that makes sense, which is the interface. And most of that, after the initial setup process, 
is really something that's involved integration of multiple sources of entertainment. So we got to deal with the integration. We can't have Apple TV and streaming be the only source. You're still going to have gaming consoles. You're still going to have a Blu-ray player, maybe. We're not going to get rid of that. So I think those are areas where Apple can make a difference and come up with a product that we didn't think we'd need but will depend on once we get it. It's not the same thing as a TV set because... We've lived with TV sets, and even if the experience is 20 years old, as Tim Cook says, it doesn't mean that the actual set is bad. Apple can maybe make the picture a little bit better. Apple can maybe even have a better tricked-out sound system. But it doesn't necessarily mean they should build the whole widget. Peter Cohen, where do we find more of your stuff? You can find my writing on loopinsight.com and also at Macworld and uh uh, Tap Magazine and anyone else who's who's willing to pay me. And uh, you can also listen to my podcast at angrymacbastards.com. Peter Cohen, have a happy new year. Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks, Gene. Hope your 2013 is a healthy and prosperous one. You too, my friend. GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. 
Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Weakened by GMOs, stressed out about money, and blasted by the electric environment. Hi, I'm Pastor Ginny, and that was the state I was in back in 2010. Then I learned about RNA drops. I learned that 97% of my DNA that scientists have called junk is actually packed with millions of gene switches that play a critical role in controlling how my cells, organs, and other tissues behave. I learned I don't have to put up with disease, decay, or decline like I'd been conditioned to believe. I began taking RNA drops, a 100% natural formula designed to turn on those switches and provide me with amazing health. Enjoy. Learn more about RNA drops and order a free sample today. Visit rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com or call toll free 888-577-3703. Pay only shipping and handling for a free 30-day supply of RNA drops. Get the information you need and the health you want at rnafreesample.com. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We have Kirk McElhern. He's the iTunes guy for Macworld Magazine. And we're going to continue kind of a discussion that we started with Peter Cohen earlier on the episode. And that is to discuss the best and the worst in the tech universe, not necessarily just Apple, for 2012 and projections for 2013. But I think if we look at things, I would suspect, and feel free to disagree with me here, if we look at Apple's experiences in 2012, some suggest that it was MapGate that really really was a major issue. I see it being an issue. I don't see it being a major issue, except the press wanted to have it be a major issue. Yeah, the, the press loves attacking Apple these days, just like to used to attack Microsoft and all that. You know, Apple is doing so well that they're a good target, and writing about Apple probably gets a lot of page views and sells a lot of magazines and newspapers. Um, I, I think MapGate was a gate. I think it was embarrassing. I think iTunes gate was a gate, um, having to delay it a month and then coming out with something that had some serious bugs and, and missing features in it. I think there's a lot going on at Apple that's changing in the sort of post-Steve Jobs universe. They may not have gotten the hang of the new way of working, and, and it's not necessarily the, the Tim Cook style, but with all of the management changes that we've seen recently, um, it's possible that things are just not cohering as well as they used to. Well, in terms of iTunes, isn't it better that they delayed it a month despite the fact there were some early release bugs? Well, they might have been better off delaying it two months. The, the problem was that they gave a date. Um, remember when we saw this with OS X that was delayed because of iOS a few years ago? Once they give a date, people expect them to 
keep that to, to respect that deadline. And with iTunes, what was it, October thirtieth or the thirty first that they said, well, we're going to have to push it back to November. Um, they had announced that it would be available before the end of October. So, waiting first of all, missing the date is one thing. Waiting till the last day to announce it just looks bad. That looks like they're really doing, you know. 12-hour shifts trying to finish it, and they realized they couldn't. So if they had said it in the middle of October, said, okay, you know, we're going to make some changes, and we want to, you know, we want to take a little more time, I think it would have been less embarrassing. Now, the Maps thing is is a totally different story because it's part of iOS. It's a feature that was touted, and it was easy for people to make fun of it. But... Yeah, I, I think that there, we've just seen a number of things that suggest that, you know, all is not rosy at Apple, that they're having a little bit of trouble um, doing all that they're doing. And again, we saw this back with iOS in the early days that it pushed back development on OS X, um, suggesting that they don't have enough developers to handle both of these things. So uh, I think Apple uh, also, at the same time, Apple has been um, compressing their sort of product cycles. Um, you know, between the iPhone 4S and iPhone 5, the time was less than a year. Between the, the last two iPads, less than a year. Maybe they need to take a little bit more time and not be in such a hurry to get out new products. Well, there's a problem, too, which is the competition. Apple has to meet the competition, and therefore they've got to get all those new products out. And sometimes you have to give up on something. I think with Maps, all they had to do was call it a public beta, say, hey, this is our next generation mapping system. Look at all these great features, but there are going to be some mistakes. As we progress and as you report errors, we will fix them. Yeah, I don't buy that crap, the public beta crap. Um, I don't well, buy that's that. that's what if Siri you- is. Siri is a beta. Siri, well, it's funny. I was at a doctor's office making an appointment yesterday, and I had my iPhone with me, and I use... Um, and I use Fantastical on my, on my iPhone as a calendar app. And so the secretary gave me the appointment, and I picked up my iPhone, and I opened Fantastical, and I tapped on a little dictation button to, to dictate into it because, you know, it works pretty well with that. And so the person said to me, ah, is that Siri? Siri doesn't work for me in French because I'm in France, and I was speaking in English to my phone. I said, no, 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 Siri's crap. This is just a calendar app, and it works fine. Um, uh, calling Siri a public beta after it's been out for how long and not really improving it? I mean, when average people who aren't in the tech industry say, yeah, Siri's crap, you know, that's the, – the public beta thing is just stupid. If you're going to send – if you're going to ship a half-baked product, um, you're better off not ship. Well, Siri's always have the beta label. How long is it going to have the beta label? Are they turning into Google where Gmail was, was beta for 10 is, – is, is Gmail still beta, in fact? I don't even know. I think with Google, mail is no longer beta. Yeah, okay, since when? And how long was it beta? No, but it's just, it's just crap. For them to do that, um, to keep shipping products that they advertise – I mean, if, if Siri was a product that was just something that was part of iOS – that's one thing. But they make advertisements around it. Well, this I, the, I, you, you I think the you advertise- don't advertise a beta product with people like Samuel L. Jackson and, and Martin Scorsese. Sorry. Well, I think they're saying there that if you are Samuel L. Jackson, you will get Siri to work, but the rest of us can't. No, I get Siri to work after a fashion. 
I've had Siri say, get me to, I've used Siri to say, get me to such and such a location. And within a few seconds, it will set up a navigation routine. And the last two times I tried it over the weekend when I was traveling to a few different places, it was perfect. In fact, I, I tried we, to this, use no, Google we've Maps. We've discussed this a number of times. But, but I think the thing is it works for some people and it doesn't work for others. And it may be the way they speak, their accent. Um, maybe they're not holding the phone right so the microphone isn't close enough or whatever. The, the problem is, to me, you, you said it. You said series of beta. So, and that statement of yours was suggesting that we should excuse things because it's a beta. But it's been out for, what, over a year? Um, and it's crappy for a lot of people. Well, I know there have been some class action lawsuits against Apple over Siri. And they should be. It's, I don't know. You don't release a marquee product and make TV commercials for something that's beta and use beta as an excuse for it not working. I'm sorry. That's not the way Apple used to be. The same thing with the maps. Even if they called it beta, the fact that it didn't work is just, you know, didn't work. No, I, I hear you. I understand that perfectly well. I, I, just, I just don't buy that excuse saying, okay, it's a beta or a public beta. I'm sorry. This is, we're talking, you know, the iPhone is an expensive device. It's a, it's a feature that's, that's highlighted, and calling it a beta is basically thumbing your nose at your customers. So there. Okay, no, this, mass- is not, this is not Peter Cohen speaking. This is Kirk McElhern. I'm just using Peter's persona a little bit there. Well, you're getting close. I think you are channeling his persona. <laughs> I'm going to tell yep. Peter that you've learned a skill. Yeah. You know, like we have the shadow who could cloud men's minds. We have Kirk McElhern who can channel Peter Cohen if that's what you want to do. Yeah, no, you know, it's just... As you know, every once in a while I get into rant mode, and this is one of the things that just annoys me. That you know, it's as I said, it's thumbing your nose at your customers. You know, if this was a fifty dollars product, it'd be one thing to call it a beta. But we're talking about uh, you know an expensive device that this shouldn't. It shouldn't be like this. They certainly should be putting more people full time in getting the thing straightened out. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree. Whoever's responsible, and obviously they put Siri in the hands of Eddie Q, who's what, Mr. Fix-It over at Apple, in addition to Maps. So they do recognize there's a problem with Siri. They do recognize there's a problem with Maps. Maps are getting better. And I've been documenting problems and failures with Google Maps over the past week or two that aren't being discussed. Yes, Apple should get proper criticism when they do the wrong things. And you're right, Siri is not perfect for everybody. I have reasonable luck with it. I understand a lot of people don't. Maps is getting better, but Apple should have either held off on Maps or presented it differently. I don't know. We always are happy to present Kirk McElhern on the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. 
But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Food storage? Check. Survival tools? Check. Weapons and water filters? Check. But what about a permanent source of cooking power that can run forever without buying fuel or paying for maintenance? Introducing Afterburner Stoves, home of the original patented rocket stove, the Kelly Kettle, and the Solo Stove. Afterburner Stoves has what you need and now offers all GCN listeners our complete preparedness package with the means to cook meals and sanitize water. Whether you dig in or bug out, cook almost any meal with just a handful of sticks. We already have the lowest online prices guaranteed, but if you enter coupon code GCN at checkout will knock off an additional 15% and send you our amazing 6-hour solar rechargeable light bulb absolutely free, all for only $249. Visit AfterburnerStoves.com or call 866-716-5214. 866-716-5214. AfterburnerStoves.com. Cook hot meals with just a handful of sticks. Land in Buenos Aires, then a shuttle to Santa Rosa, where a nicely furnished cabin with all amenities, Wi-Fi, executive food and wine, and laundry service awaits. After a good night's sleep, your adventure begins. You're on a golden stag safari for big game. But it's not Africa, it's Argentina. One-on-one guided hunts for water buffalo, cougar, bighorn rams, wild boar, and the biggest stag deer in South America. All gold medal quality. All the action you can handle. Land Rovers, top rental guns with scopes, all food, beverages, hunting guides, ground transportation included, and more. All more affordable than you can imagine. The adventure of a lifetime starts at GoldenStagSafaris.com. The big game hunting ranch. GoldenStagSafaris.com. Attention, this is an announcement for our listeners who drive gasoline vehicles. Federal Consumer Protection has confirmed that there is now an automotive accessory that exceeds its own fuel-saving claims. Consumer Protection has confirmed that most gasoline vehicles will get 22% more miles per gallon with an accessory called Platinum 22. To find out if Platinum 22 will give your vehicle 22% more miles per gallon, you should call 1-800-LESS-GAS. You heard me correctly, 1-800-LESS-GAS. You heard me. Federal Consumer Protection has confirmed that the Platinum 22 accessory will deliver 22% more miles per gallon to most gasoline vehicles. You should pick up the phone and call 1-800-LESS-GAS to find out if it will help your vehicle. That's 1-800-LESSGAS. 1-800-LESSGAS. 22% more miles per gallon. 1-800-LESS-GAS. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg.
We have Kirk McElhern joining us on the Tech Night How Live doing a retrospective of 2012. So we see Apple messed up with Maps. Apple messed up with the Siri because they still haven't fixed it. But once again, Eddie Q has taken over Siri and Maps. Do you think that's more or less an admission that Apple realizes there's a problem and they've got to fix it? I think that there's a lot more going on than just that. I think there's a lot of internal politics that's going on. And maybe, I hope this isn't the case, but maybe Maps was actually released in order to get rid of certain people. Uh, I kind of hope Apple doesn't do things like that. But, you know, it's not just the Maps thing that would get all these people. You know, Scott Forstall was the one that we talked about a couple months ago. But it's not just the Maps that are causing them to, to get dumped. So... Well, I, I think it's pretty clear that Four Star wasn't dumped just because of Maps or possibly because of Siri. It was a straw that broke the camel's back, that he was on the chopping block for a while because of his attitude problem. You know, without Steve Jobs as the buffer, there was nobody to control him. That's entirely possible. But I, I don't know, again, I don't know the internal politics. I think that we're seeing a lot of things going on. The Maps debacle was one thing. Um, Siri and iTunes delays um, are, are another thing. And, you know, there's a lot going on. And I think, I think Apple's gotten to a point where they're trying to do a little bit more than they can really handle. Um, you know, imagine what it's like inside a company like that. You've got a whole lot of different groups of people. You've got the people who build the products whether they be physical products, you know, design people, whether they be software, the, 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 the engineers, the developers. And then you've got the marketing staff and, and all of the rest, the retail stores and the online stores and all that. Now, you can probably pretty easily scale up the marketing and the retail and all of that. Not that these are not skilled positions, but that you don't need people with the same kinds of skills that are hard to find as you do for development. But when it comes to development, I think Apple's doing an awful lot. Because remember, how long has the iPhone been around? What is it, five years, a little more than five years? Um, if I recall the last numbers, 80% of Apple's revenue comes from products that didn't exist five years ago. So the company's gone, undergone a great change. And it looks as though they haven't been able to keep up. And there are a lot of things slipping up. I don't know. It's I can tell you that I've been... I don't have a lot of contacts in Apple, but I've been hearing that things are changing in many ways. And I'm not saying for the better, for the worse, or whatever, but that things are changing. We're in a post-Steve Jobs Apple, um, and the way things are done are starting to change. I also think that Tim Cook is a smart enough cookie that he knows when things are not working properly, and he's taking steps to fix them. And I think the movement, the executive movement, was an example. This is not right. We're going to make it right. Yeah, but Apple is is a ship that's a mile long, and getting that ship to turn isn't going to happen in one or two quarters. It's a question of a year or two um, to be able to turn things around with the amount of inertia you get in a company that size. Well, this is something where he really has to push, and he has to keep things going. But he has his own way of management, and whether this would have happened under Jobs or not, we don't know. Remember that Siri was approved under Jobs? Remember that the MAPS program, good or bad, started when Jobs was still at the helm. Sure. The, you know, these are both projects that certainly took several years of development. These weren't made 
you know, over the summer. Okay, well, I'm glad to know that at least there's hope. I think there's hope for MAPS because of the fact that MAPS has gotten better. And I'm hoping Syria will be better, you know, because I realize the difficulties. And it has such great potential also. I like to see it. 2012, what other things maybe Apple didn't do as well? There have been some complaints, for example, that Apple should not have released a fourth-generation iPad so quickly. Well, I said earlier that they've they've made their they've compressed their product cycles, and I think I don't think it's so much a question of keeping up with the competition because the competition isn't doing that much in the tablet sector in terms of you know market share. Apple's doing quite well. Apple's market share is dropping, obviously, um, but not that much. <sighs> The, the problem with Apple is you have two kinds of customers. You have the, the faithful customers who are going to be buying products no matter what, and you have the new customers. Now, Apple is banking on the fact that they're getting a lot of free press, which is you know gazillions of dollars of advertising that they don't have to spend when they release a new product. So is the idea simply, okay, we're going to release another version of the iPad, and we're going to get a lot of free press for it, and we're going to sell a whole bunch of them. Is that the logic? Um, this will attract the new users, but it actually irks the existing users who are thinking, oh, man, I just bought this iPad, and all of a sudden there's another one, and, you know, I'm getting tired of having to change so long. And, and frankly, just from a sort of um, resource point of view, I think it's a waste to, be, to expect people to change, uh, to upgrade products as quickly as they do. Um, you know, none of us need to really upgrade our computers more than every few years, and so it's the same thing with an iPad. Um, I I know most people aren't buying each new version, um, but it's just it's happening too quickly. And to to make it more complicated, they're still selling older versions, and this is something Apple didn't used to do or did very rarely. Um, I, I think back in the days of the eMac, they kept selling that, but only on a limited basis. And, and for laptops, there's always been like one cheaper version that they've sold. But now it's gotten to the point where, let's see, how many iPads can you get? Um, you can get an iPad mini, an iPad 2, an iPad with retina display, which is the iPad 4, right? The iPad with retina display, but it doesn't have a 4. Um, so you got three iPad models. Do you really need to have anything other than the iPad mini and the full-size iPad? I'm not convinced. When you look at the iPhone product line, they sell the iPhone 5, the iPhone 4S, and the iPhone 4. Now, there's a logic here because the older iPhones are cheaper. In fact, the iPhone 4, you can get it for free with a contract. But do they really need to have a product line now that's starting to look more and more like a Dell product line um, with different versions that confuse the majority of users? When you, when you look at this, you don't, know, you, know, you don't know what the difference is. I kind of think Apple figured that there was going to be a lot more competition in the tablet space. And having the ability to simply change out the innards for the iPad 4 was a fast way of making a difference and maybe giving another boost to sales. It was a decision made for marketing purposes for the holiday quarter to try to get more traction. That's possible, but I don't understand why they're still selling the iPad 2. It, it starts at $100 less. 
Um, I just don't see the point of having something at that price point. Um, if it was $200 less, okay, but they can't do that because that would be cheaper than the iPad mini. So, see, and on top of that, they're getting to the point now where they've got this product line that's starting to have crossovers. You go from the iPod Touch, let's say. We'll, we'll ignore the iPhone for a second. You go from the iPod Touch, which is what? It starts at 199 but it goes up to 249 Then you go up to the iPad mini, which is sort of halfway between um, at 329 Then you go to the iPad 2. Then you go to the iPad 4, which isn't called the iPad 4, of course. They're getting to the point where the, the, the price point of a certain product can't sort of step on the feet of a price point of another product. Um, it's making this whole product line a little bit more confusing as well. You remember Apple in the 90s when you had 87 different models with odd numbers like 4257XYZ or whatever? Um, I hope we're not getting to that point again um, because that just made it too confusing. I think part of it is, again, marketing decisions in light of the fact that they want to cover more price points in a simple way. But I do think the iPad 2 is going to disappear. And I think one reason to keep it around is the fact that the iPad mini was not available in decent quantities, as high a quantity as Apple might have hoped for this time. There's still a one-week backlog if you go to Apple's site. So that might have been one reason to keep that model in there to get sales. But now I think there's good reason to get rid of it. The same is not true with the mobile phone space. In the mobile phone space... You know, there's a lot of sensitivity to the upfront price. So Apple keeping two previous models in the lineup is not unusual. It's something they've done for a while, even again under Steve Jobs. I don't think that's going to change. It's not that they're going to suddenly come up with a deliberately cheap iPhone, though some people suggest that. Let's talk about that. Of course, we're sitting here recording our last episode for 2012, but we have a whole lot more to come, so please stay tuned. We have Kirk McElhern joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. So it's off to Grandma's house for the holidays, eh? (laughs) That's great. But while you're going over the river and through the woods, professional burglars are choosing easy targets to break into. Don't be an easy target. Plug in fake TV. 
Fool criminals into believing someone's home at your house watching TV. Fake TV works a bit like a light on a timer, but fake TV is far more convincing. Fake TV plugs into any outlet and simulates the light and colors of a real TV. Burglars will likely move on to easier targets and leave your house alone. Fake TV costs less than a month of most alarm monitoring plans and makes a great Christmas gift. Or it's perfect if you're traveling over the holidays or anytime. Order your fake TV by calling 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. That's 877-532-5388 or faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. Welcome back to Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's him. We have Kirk McElhern on the Tech Night Out Live. He's the iTunes guy. And he mentioned before one of Apple's failures for 2012 was the early release, even though it was late, of iTunes 11, which came with bugs and a significant missing feature. And I hope they've gotten that straightened out. What about suggestions here that maybe for the third world or developing countries, Apple get involved in producing a cheaper iPhone rather than just sell the previous year's model? I can't imagine Apple doing that because... Where do you have to cut corners for that? You've got to cut corners on the display and on the battery life and on the processor and all that. Now, the processor's pretty easy. They can always go back to a slower processor like that was on the iPhone 3 or whatever. But then you're going to have apps that don't run very well, that don't run smoothly. Apple doesn't generally like that sort of customer experience where it feels cheap. In other words, they can't say to you, okay, you're only going to be able to use these apps, or at least I don't think they want to say that. Um, so if they were to release a cheaper phone, because you know, they've already got the iPhone 4, which is significantly slower than the iPhone 5, so you're certainly going to be able to buy apps today that lag on the iPhone 4. If they were going to cut corners there, I'm not sure that it's useful. Because let's face it, you've got, your, your phone has to have at least a full day's standby battery life. Um, the display has to be easy enough to see. And as we know, you know, the, the iPhone display, and particularly the iPhone 5, is, is really wonderful. So are you really going to get cheap and go to a non-retina display, um, slower processor, less battery? I mean, what else can you do to cut corners there? I don't think there's a lot. Well, maybe Apple doing it as they are now is the best approach of all. It probably is. I'm going to make a suggestion, though. If there's one thing that I'd like to see, it's Apple making a landline phone, a fixed phone. It would be exactly like the iPhone, except it wouldn't run apps. In other words, you would have the standard Apple apps like calendar and contacts and phone and messages, but that's it. It would be just for making phones at home. The the reason why is a few months ago, I had to buy a new um, phone for my home office. Looking at the kind of crap that you get, it's really quite impressive these days. These things are extremely complicated. If you want to sync your contacts to them, the one I got has Bluetooth, and you have to go through a an app that's really confusing and really hard, and you can't sync automatically and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I would just welcome something like an iPhone that can sit on my desk and be used as a fixed phone, because I do need a fixed phone. I know a lot of people don't, but when you're in business, you do need one. Um, 
think about how useful this would be for a business with a lot of people using a phone, sharing a contacts list, having shared calendars on it, and all those, those sorts of things. A phone like that wouldn't need much of a processor because it wouldn't be doing things graphically. The display doesn't need to be retina. It doesn't need battery life because you're going to keep it plugged into its its base. So you need four or six hours of battery life, um, but not much more than that. It seems to me like it would be a perfect extension of the iPhone to allow either it could be for for home use for business use but to allow people to be able to get all of their contacts and their um their calendars and all that sort of stuff onto a fixed phone for people who use fixed phones aren't we living in a world though that except for business more and more people are not using fixed phones they're using mobile phones um, I think yes and no. I think yes because we see a lot of these people. I think no because when you look at what it costs to have a contract for an iPhone, um, this is still not a large percentage of people. So imagine someone who's a Mac user who may just have a cheap cell phone because they don't need a smartphone and they don't want to pay the contract. Maybe they'd be interested in having a fixed phone that syncs with their Mac, that gets their contacts and calendars, and that can maybe use iMessages off of the phone by you somehow going through the Mac or something like that. No, I think, I think there would be a market. And again, I'm thinking of businesses, too, where people could share contacts and calendars a lot more easily um, than some of the solutions that are out there. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the idea came to me when I was looking at phones, and I bought a, a Siemens Gigaset, which is a pretty popular brand over here, and I spent I don't know, was it 100 euros, which is, you know, pretty steep for a single phone, for a single fixed phone. Um, and it's a nice phone. It's got good sound and all that. But it's just getting data onto it is just so incredibly clunky. I just don't see that's a place Apple wants to get into. You know, I really don't. It doesn't look like it's a place where Apple can upend the industry. Yeah, we have a fancier interface. But I think Apple is looking for other fish to fry. It's entirely possible. Like, you know, there's always this talk about an Apple TV, not the Apple TV, but an Apple TV set. I still, I just don't buy that idea um, personally. But I don't know. A lot of people who think that they know what's going on think that it's going to happen. I always worry about the people who think they know what's going on. I do not make any such pretensions, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just here to speculate. I'm just here to basically present my analysis of a situation but if i am proven wrong fine i personally do not believe apple will build a tv because i can't see where they can make a difference i go back to what tim cook said which is we build the products you didn't think you'd need and once you use them you can't live without them yeah i think i never had a smartphone before an iphone i had just a simple feature phone like a motorola razor it was fine for me Mm-hmm. But now I depend on my iPhone. My wife depends on an iPad. Same reason. The, she doesn't like only, Macs that much. The only way I see a TV working is if they take the current Apple TV, the little box that connects to the TV, and they bump it up and do something more with it. Because the, the problem is, for me, there's two problems. One is that TVs are not something that people buy often. Um, I don't care how rich Americans are. I don't think people buy TVs more than once every five or ten years. The second thing is that a TV is a very big device. And the market for TVs has a whole lot of different sizes. Now, can you imagine a whole 
how many square feet would you of wall space would you need in an Apple retail store to display all the different TVs? Um, they can't just have one or two sizes. They've got to have four or five or six sizes. It just doesn't seem like the kind of product that is designed to sell in an Apple retail store. Um, it's not a hands-on product. So, no, I just don't see the logic. But I do see the idea of the Apple TV doing more. Um, Here's one example that could be good. Now, I, I wrote an article a couple of years ago for Macworld, and I keep – so you mentioned earlier I'm the iTunes guy. I write the Ask the iTunes Guy column at Macworld where I get questions um, from readers, and I've got, currently got 1,100 questions in my iTunes Guy mailbox. And he'll answer uh, them next year. I'll answer – you know, I generally answer five every two weeks in a column because a lot of the questions ask the same thing. So one of the biggest questions I keep getting is – People who have multiple computers at home and they want to have a single iTunes library instead of an iTunes library on every different device. Now, I wrote an article a couple years ago for Macworld outlining what I would see as an iTunes server that could be either installed on one Mac or on a device like a a network-attached storage device or something like that. I can imagine the Apple TV turning into something like that. So imagine the Apple TV is the size of a time capsule because it's going to have a hard disk in it. And your content is stored there, shared over your Wi-Fi network. Everyone gets access. Um, It's connected to the TV, so the TV gets access. But also, each version of iTunes gets access. Each different computer gets access through a version of iTunes that's on the device that's a server version that has different user accounts and where users can choose which content goes in their library and which doesn't. So, you know... Um, Jimmy can get his um, heavy metal stuff and Jane can get her um, jazz and classical music and no one has to listen to Mom and Dad's Alvin and the Chipmunks music. What makes you think Mom and Dad listen to Alvin and the Chipmunks? I'm just, this is just an example, okay? Or Frank Sinatra. Or whatever, or Grateful Dead, whatever. All right, you know, kids listen to a surprising amount of music. My son was listening to Pink Floyd. And the Beatles. But that's another I'm not, story. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying they don't. But what I'm saying is that I, 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 each, I, I, each library, the, here's the biggest problem. Okay, let's, library, listen, let's segue Let's go here. to a break. We go to a break. Okay, I agree with that. Let's do a break. We have Kirk McElhern joining us on the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many forms formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. 
As many people know, ever since President Nixon took us off the gold standard, the U.S. dollar has been devaluating. What people don't know, however, is how this directly affects your personal finances. Is there a way to protect your portfolios from losing value? The answer to all of this is gold and silver. They both have maintained their purchasing power for 6,000 years. If you had $100,000 in cash and $100,000 in gold and silver back in 1913 and kept them until now, your cash would have the buying power of only $4,800. But your gold and silver would have the buying power of $3 million. The answer to protecting your assets is simple. Call John Ballman today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Get all your questions answered before your money is worth zero. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Take action today while we still accept paper dollars for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. What's better than Mountain House freeze-dried food? Buckets of Mountain House freeze-dried food. Now the freeze-dried guy introduces convenient, easy-to-store Mountain House survival buckets filled with our top-selling items. Each item is sealed in a Mylar-type pouch, and each pouch is neatly packed in clear buckets so you can easily see the contents inside. These Mountain House survival buckets come with well over a 25-year shelf life and are perfect for emergency preparedness, camping, backpacking, or at-home use. Go to freezedryguy.com. Click on freeze-dried foods and choose our 12-month, 6-month, 3-month, 1-month, or 7-day Mountain House Survival Bucket with 32 generous servings starting at just $69.95. And all orders to the lower 48 ship free. Call 866-404-3663 or go to freezedryguy.com. That's 866-404-3663 or go to freezedryguy.com. 100% veteran-owned. The Freeze-Dry Guy. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. Kirk McElhern joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. He's the one who suggested the break this time, so don't blame me for it. And he came up with a suggestion, something he wrote about in Macworld a while back, for an iTunes server. I have some ideas, but I want to hear more about what he has to say. Go ahead. Okay, one of the biggest problems, because I mentioned before the break about sharing libraries and all that, one of the biggest problems is that if you don't have individual libraries, then syncing to iPods or iPhones and iPads is a nightmare. 
you can't just sync the whole thing because you'll get everyone's stuff if it's all one big shared library. On top of that, when each person adds music to their library, you need to know whether you want to add it to one library or to others. So you need a way for people to know what's been added so they can decide whether it goes in their library. Related to this is the question that I keep getting about families that have either one or multiple iTunes accounts, and how do they manage this? What's the best way? You know, the parents have been buying stuff for the kids. The kids want their own accounts, but they still want to be able to access the content that was bought on the previous account. So this whole account-based system, which was fine for us in the early years of, of the iTunes store and the App Store and all that, has become unwieldy, and Apple needs to find a solution not only to share the content in a family environment, but also to, to, to deal with these multiple accounts so people don't get all these confusing problems where you can download something from one account, but then you can't change it for 90 days on a device and, and all this. And the problem is they're trying to protect against piracy, but there are too many um, honest people who, who either have multiple accounts or single accounts and want to split them um, be, in families that make this just extremely confusing. What you're talking about, Kirk, is one account, one unified monolithic account with different users each of which can opt to have the full library or their own personal library, but it's all part of the same account. Or iTunes Server lets you put multiple accounts together to be able to manage things more efficiently if you have multiple accounts. I think the two aspects have to go together. On the one hand, keeping the content in a single place so it's not replicated over multiple computers, and on the other hand, dealing with this issue of accounts where people either want to give their kids their own accounts or they want to merge accounts and all this. These are things that Apple's never allowed. You can't merge an account. You can't switch an account from one Apple ID to another. The, the Apple ID is, is written in stone. Well, one of the things here that Tim Cook commented on once in one of those infamous letters, he was asked about being able to merge multiple iTunes accounts and indicated that something that they were considering, but of course it hasn't been done. And it may still be the problem. I think the biggest problem, of course, is the verification factor. Well, there's a verification factor because the entertainment industry um, doesn't want this to happen. The thing is, it would be too easy. Okay, here a couple of situations of questions that I've gotten recently. Mr. X writes in, my wife and I are divorcing. Well, maybe what she didn't do we like do? being called Mrs. X. Okay, what do we do with the stuff in the iTunes account? Because both people could keep the same... Uh, Apple ID, but both people don't want to keep the same Apple ID because one of them wants to keep using it. So how do you deal with something like that? The other situation is um, Mr. Y writes in, my daughter's going away to college. I want her to have her own account, but we bought all this stuff under my account that we've been using for however many years since the iTunes store started. How can I deal with this? So these are questions that I get a lot. These are very common questions. In fact, um, I was just discussing the other day with my editor uh, about writing an article to discuss the different issues behind all of these account questions. And this is something Apple's going to have to face. Now, I don't know how they verify it. There's got to be a way, but... It's getting to the point where, you know, I'm getting more questions about accounts these days than I am about iTunes Match. And I think this is one of the things where Apple has to fix this in 2013. I still like my idea, though, whether we have an iTunes server or not, because that's buying another appliance. That is that you have a unified user account with a way to merge all your accounts. So you have one monolithic account. 
And the best way to do it, of course, you have to have the different kinds of verification, credit card numbers, maybe even a social security number. I don't know. People don't like to give up their privacy. But Apple has to verify that these two accounts belong to the same person. If you want to do it, you have to accept whatever provisions they provide. Then you have multiple users like you do with your Mac. Your Mac has multiple users. Exactly. And each user creates an account on the iTunes server, and you've got to have some sort of a pool for newly added content so the users can go in and say, hey, as it is with iTunes now, you can load a library from another computer on your local network in a home share, and you can see what's not on your computer. So the same thing from the iTunes server, you, you, you log in with your account. Basically, your iTunes on your Mac or your PC is going to see your account on the iTunes server. And you'll see what new content's been added. You get to decide whether you add it to your library or not. So if mom and dad have bought, I don't know, Downton Abbey and you don't want to watch that, you don't have to add it. It's not going to you know, get synced to your devices. It's not going to clog up your library. But if they've bought the latest season of Breaking Bad and you do want that, you can add it to your library. All right. Now, this is a pretty good idea. Question is here, is it that difficult for Apple to implement? Apple's supposed to be the company that does the impossible. I think it's not difficult for Apple to implement. Again, look, look at the time capsule at $300. It's got a two terabyte hard drive. All they need to do is put a tiny little version of iOS or OS X or whatever onto the device and make a new version of iTunes. What I think is more difficult is to make this process understandable to average users who are not used to managing multiple user accounts. I think that's something that might be a little tricky. And just to give one example of an iTunes feature that is perplexing beyond perplexing. Um, iTunes 11 adds this feature called Up Next. Now, I've been working on an update to my Take Control of iTunes, the FAQ book, and I'll be darned if I didn't spend an awful lot of time trying to understand this and a lot of back and forth with my editor trying to clear this up in ways that explaining it makes sense. Apple added a feature where the idea is interesting, but where the implementation is extremely confusing. And if they would do the same with an iTunes server, people would be buying a device for a specific use. Now, again, this could be part of an Apple TV. Um, As I said earlier, it could be connected to the TV, and that probably makes sense. But if it's too hard for users to understand the concept, then it's going to fail. It has to be an appliance. It has to be something that sets itself up almost behind the scenes. Because as soon as you add any level of complexity, the product dies. People don't exactly. use it. That's the problem that we have, for example, with the Google TV. They make it so comprehensive in terms of features, so complex a setup that people don't care and they don't buy them. It basically has to be one of these things where you install the device and you launch iTunes and iTunes detects it and walks you through with an assistant asking a number of questions. For instance, do you want to keep all the content that's on your device? Um, We're going to transfer it to the iTunes server. And, of course, it'll only transfer if the content's not there, then it'll delete what's local and it'll ask you, you know, for your account, for your credentials and, and your, your, um, your user account and how you want to, do you want a new content to be automatically added to your library? Do you want to choose? And there are a whole number of options that could be thought of here. It's got to be a simple assistant and it's got to be simple to change the settings after the fact. And we'll have to change this setting first. We have Kirk McElhern joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. We have witnessed two terrible storms in the east, but we are still in the eye of the perfect storm. The most devastating economic condition since the Great Depression. America's worst drought in agricultural history. And now the economic results of the presidential election. This perfect storm is a huge threat to everyone's food supply. I just doubled down and got even more supplies from eFoods Direct, and I recommend you do the same. It's time to get your own supply from eFoods Direct. I know I won't be standing in a bread line trading my freedom for food. I'm taking control of my future, and you're nuts if you don't do the same. Go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex to find the specials, and you can start with a holiday gift pack that's normally $80, now under 50 bucks. Remember, I can warn you, but I can't feed you. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Would you rather prepare six months too early or one day too late? 409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals, are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with wise foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit Big B-E-R-K-E-Y waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Or go to BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Weakened by GMOs, stressed out about money, and blasted by the electric environment. Hi, I'm Pastor Ginny, and that was the state I was in back in 2010. Then I learned about RNA drops. I learned that 97% of my DNA that scientists have called junk is actually packed with millions of gene switches that play a critical role in controlling how my cells, organs, and other tissues behave. I learned I don't have to put up with disease, decay, or decline like I'd been conditioned to believe. I began taking RNA drops, a 100% natural formula designed to turn on those switches and provide me with amazing health and joy. Learn more about RNA drops and order a free sample today. Visit rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. Or call toll-free 888 888- 
877-377-3703. Pay only shipping and handling for a free 30-day supply of RNA drops. Get the information you need and the health you want at rnafreesample.com. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. On the Tech Night Owl Live, we have Kirk McElhern. We are exploring Apple's misfires for 2012, wish list for 2013. And we came up here with a concept that Kirk had voiced some time back, an article in Macworld about an iTunes server, and the setup assistant would have to be very carefully thought out, very carefully tailored to ask very clear questions. And on the basis of those clear questions, you click yes or no or help me because I don't understand you. That's got to be another one, too. Maybe the third question is, I have no idea what you're saying. I haven't a clue what this is all about. Would you please do it? Or maybe just set things up automatically with 99% of the average user's needs and then a little 1% fudge factor, which they help you figure out. Yeah, there's a lot that could be done automatically. That's obvious. Um, in, in certainly a lot of situations, it could be set up by default. But again, if, if it's too confusing, people won't use it. People will complain about it. Apple will get a lot of support requests. You know, uh, I don't know how much it costs for one single support call, but my guess is that, you know, one per device and they lose all their profit margin. It's probably I heard once, like this is a lot of years ago, it costs like 25 to $30 for every single support request. And it has to be much higher now. So if you add, it certainly is, yeah. Okay, so if you say it's forty dollars per support request, right. you have a ninety-nine dollar Apple TV. One call, the profit margin's gone. Right. So they need to keep that down to one in a thousand or one in five hundred or whatever. I don't know. I'm sure there are numbers in, in the industry. Here we're talking about a device that my guess is you want this to be the price of a time capsule, three hundred dollars. Um, but still, you want to make it so you don't need a lot of support. Does Apple even sell a lot of time capsules? It's not like a sexy product. It's not. They don't give numbers on it. But interestingly, the two terabyte device at three hundred dollars is is pretty interesting compared to the AirPort Extreme at one hundred seventy nine. However, you go up to three terabytes and it's five hundred dollars all of a sudden. So it looks like they're dissuading people from buying the more expensive one. But the two ninety nine seems to be a good sweet spot if you need both a router and a hard disk to do backups. Now, I don't know how many people are in that situation. I do use an Airport Extreme, even though I have a router that my ISP provides me that does a lot of stuff, because I need the ability to extend my network to Apple Expresses and things like that. But most people, most people here certainly would not buy an Apple Extreme or a time capsule or anything like that. So I really don't know if it's a product that sells a lot. I know in my particular situation, the ISP I switched to when I moved to a new place, they provide a four-port router, gigabit connections, pretty decent Wi-Fi connection. I don't need any extenders, so I use whatever they gave me. So my other system has basically gone away. And I wonder how many people are in that situation. More and more ISPs give you a decent router. Maybe not the best router, but for the average user, it's fine. Look at Cisco. They bought Linksys, 
and now they're trying to dump it. They're not doing so well in the home router business. Yeah, you know, over here, France, France is actually kind of special in, in this area. You get a router from your ISP, and I think we did a show about this six months ago or something. My router is two parts. One is the actual internet router, which has a 250-gigabyte NAS in it. The second part is a box that connects to the TV because I get TV over ADSL, so it goes over a power line networking thing that's built into the power plugs in these devices from the one device to the other one, which then plays stuff on the TV. It can play, um, it can get TV and radio. It can play things that are, files that are on the NAS, and it also has a Blu-ray drive in it. So this is far more than just a router. And all of the ISPs in France have something similar to that. This one's the best one in terms of features, but the other ones are, you know, way more than just a simple router. And all this is taking away business from Cisco. From of course, yeah. technology because yep. they don't sell these things. Even Apple has to be suffering because somebody sets up their ISP and why do I need an Airport Express or an Airport yep. Extreme? Why? Yep. No, it's it's true. It's it's a market that's going to be more and more difficult. So Apple needs a reason to sell these devices, and of course, something like an iTunes server could be a good reason. The problem with the iTunes server itself is how many people have their phone line near the television set and that's not that's why for instance the the router that i have is in two parts the one that connects to the tv is separate from the one that connects to the internet connects to the phone line so maybe if apple were to do a product like this it would be a two-piece product where you've got your router and with the hard disk and the itunes server um, in one place and you've got the tiny apple tv sized device um, that connects to the tv i don't know again it's a question of not just the need for the product, but finding a good way to implement it. But let's go back to the Apple TV in connection with the Apple TV box. Rather than Apple building the TV set, they give you a souped-up box, either the current box or the next-generation box, which has more stuff going on. Yeah, that makes more sense to me than them building the TV set because the TV set market is tremendous, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of, of players in the market. Um, Apple would obviously get a, a foothold in the market just by the name Apple being on a device like that. Um, but I just don't see wh- what can be the added value in a TV set that couldn't be in a box. Now, granted, if they sell the TV set, they make more money, but wouldn't they sell far more little boxes at even $200 instead of 100 for the Apple TV than selling a TV set that's 1000 or 1500 or more. Also, you get such good TV sets these days for 6 or $800. Apple wants to have high margins. It's harder on a TV, easier for a box. And for the TV set itself, you have to look at each element. Can Apple make a difference? And this is something we can talk about. So, okay, the picture quality. Now, we have OLED, which is a burgeoning technology that's supposed to offer the advantages of beautiful blacks, unlimited viewing area, of plasma with LCD, lower power consumption, et cetera, et cetera, and brightness. But it's very expensive. It's not today's technology. The sets that have OLED, the very few, are going to cost two, three times more than a regular TV set. That's going to take a few years to come down. So Apple, you know, they're not going to offer that much better picture technology. Maybe sound. I don't think people care that much. If they do, they'll spend $300 for a sound bar 
or some kind of home theater system. Or, or they connect it to their stereo or whatever. No, whatever. I, 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 and that's, that's, there that's are companies. Happening. There are companies that you know might want to try something else. Like Bose has a Video Vision, which has a tricked-out sound system. But the Video Vision costs five thousand dollars for the cheapest forty-six-inch model. There's also a fifty-five-inch. It takes you up to almost six thousand dollars, as I recall. People aren't going to buy that. So any anyone who buys a TV for the sound and spends more money for the sound of a TV is foolish. I because agree. I can't. All see. you need to do you can you can get a very good stereo system, two channel stereo system for a thousand bucks. You know something? Also, they have these sound bar bases. These sound I've never bases. Heard of sound bar. Right, and it's not just like a sound bar you stick in front of the set. It is the base on which you put the TV on top of it. Right. And there are some that's supposed to sound real good. And just to let you listeners know, we are going to evaluate a couple of the better models in the very near future. They cost like five, $600. Yeah. And they have built-in subwoofers and multiple speakers, and they've gotten really good reviews. We're going to see what kind of sound they produce, whether it's a good alternative. But the key here is it's not $4,000 extra. It's a few hundred dollars extra to exactly. get better sound. Okay, so Apple, maybe they can give you better sound, but where do you go? The next step, of course, is handling multiple devices on your TV, which may be confusing and all the setups involved with the Blu-ray player and the gaming consoles and all that. And a single Apple box would still have to accommodate the extra devices either on the TV set or using the Apple TV as a central connection point where you plug in all the boxes to it. That's a very good point, okay? so and i got to do the break. That's a very good point. Thank you. We'll talk with Kirk McElhern for one more session on the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Preparedness is simple. When you have the right stuff, and with the looming threat of economic collapse and possible service interruption, it's time to get the best-in-class preparedness stuff at DisasterStuff.com. DisasterStuff.com has been serving smart preppers for over 15 years with quality products like Berkey water filters. DisasterStuff.com is the official Berkey in-stock shipping center. And as always, free shipping on all Berkey products. Stock up on water barrels and accessories. Get Country Living or Wonder Mill grain mills, Excalibur food dehydrators, Tatler reusable canning lids, 
sun oven solar cookers, EMP bags to protect sensitive electronics, and don't be without your life straw personal water filter, all from DisasterStuff.com. Preparedness is simple with the right stuff from DisasterStuff.com. Freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility. in Buenos Aires, then are shuttled to Santa Rosa, where a nicely furnished cabin with all amenities, Wi-Fi, executive food and wine, and laundry service awaits. After a good night's sleep, your adventure begins. You're on a golden stag safari for big game. But it's not Africa, it's Argentina. One-on-one guided hunts for water buffalo, cougar, bighorn rams, wild boar, and the biggest stag deer in South America. All gold medal quality. All the action you can handle. Land Rovers, top rental guns with scopes, all food, beverages, hunting guides, ground transportation included, and more. All more affordable than you can imagine. The adventure of a lifetime starts at GoldenStagSafaris.com. The big game hunting ranch. GoldenStagSafaris.com. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even if I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. Kirk McElhern joining us on the Tech Night Owl live, exploring what we could do with an Apple TV souped up. So we look at the various areas of the TV set where Apple can make a difference. And one is dealing with multiple devices by making the Apple TV kind of a docking port. Plug everything in there. HDMI hub, yeah. Has three or four HDMI plugs. Put everything in there and let it figure it out. The only difference where Apple might do something with the TV set itself is the initial setup and picture tuning process. This is something that most people don't bother with. They accept the basic settings and go on. But there are lots of ways you can fine-tune the picture Apple could possibly make a difference there, but that requires interfacing with the TV itself, not just a separate set-top box. That's the only area where I think Apple can make a difference in terms of the actual TV. Beyond that, it is handling multiple devices. Yeah, I I think you've hit the nail on the head there because... That's one of the most complicated things is getting all these wires plugged into the right places. Now, if you have an, uh, an AV receiver, obviously you've got all the HDMI ports and you plug them all into the back of the AV receiver and you have one HDMI cable that goes out to the TV. But if you don't, 
and you just want to use your TV with, say, a soundbar instead of a receiver, then the Apple TV being an HDMI hub would make a lot of sense. Something that would automatically detect which device is being used when you turn it on, so it would automatically switch. And all it would be was a pa- is a pass-through. I mean, it wouldn't be an amplifier or anything like that. It wouldn't change the signal because it's all just digital. But, yeah, that would be with the sort of Apple TV interface maybe that lets you choose and change settings for things. No, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. Now, it would be a lot bigger than the current Apple TV, of course, to to have, say, four or five HDMI jacks on the back. It could be um, the same size as the, the airport, airport extreme. extreme, right? It could. That almost because gets back to the original design of the Apple TV. That, the as far Apple as going TV, to yeah. a soundbar, though, the some of these devices don't use HDMI audio. They either have analog audio inputs or optical audio inputs, but Apple could provide that, too. There's no reason not to have an external audio port analog or optical for your sound device. Now, once you get into that, then you're getting into just basically a receiver. It's not a receiver because it's not the amplifier. You're using a separate sound system. If you're going to have five audio ports in addition to five HDMI ports... No, I'm not saying five audio ports, two. One would be analog, left-right. One would be digital. Going in or going out? Out. Ah, going out, of course. Okay. No, we're not going going in. in. We're assuming all the... Inputs coming in from HDMI, HDMI going out, you'd have to have analog or optical, just two ports. And probably coax as well. Perhaps. There are are some devices that use coax. But yeah, no, I certainly agree. And yeah, that, that gives you the option also to switch from one device to another. If, let's say, you've got a sound bar that uses RCA jacks and you've got uh, a stereo that uses a Toslink cable, an optical cable. That's so, what I was yeah. saying, optical and analog. Right. And the no, that, two devices, by the way, that I'm going to check and evaluate, they both have either analog RCA jacks or Toslink. Yeah. I would assume they have both because Toslink is is more and more common. Right, right. Um, especially because the Apple TV has a Toslink output. Um, so yeah, no, that that would make a lot of sense. In fact, one of the biggest complications when you have multiple devices is all the cables. Um, my AV receiver probably has 350 jacks on the back, and while you, you have a simple really... one, then you have a simple device. Yeah, I do. Yeah, uh, it's only it's only a 7.1 surround. Um, but you only do this when you set up the device or when you add new devices, when you get, say, a new PlayStation or whatever. But it's such a hassle, and it's so confusing that you have to remember which button to press on the remote to get the right input and the right output and all that. And I've written it down on a piece of paper because I can't always remember. I mean, I only have four things going into it, um, but still, it's confusing. So, yeah, if Apple could improve that and even have something on the display that shows what the device is, I mean, it's going to know what kind of device it is. I'm sure that devices send some sort of identifying information over HDMI, or you could enter it yourself if you have to. It knows Um, what device you're using. It knows why you're using it. It knows who you are. Ah. But it would make it easier for people who aren't good at remembering. You turn on the Apple TV, you see your little graphics for your Xbox and for your Blu-ray player and all that. You press a button, boom, and you're all set. No, that would make a good sense. In fact, that that makes sense when you think about what Steve Jobs said about we figured out TV. Because it's not TV that you figured out. Um, TV's not complicated. If you're just watching 
you know, broadcast cable, satellite TV. That's not complicated. What's complicated is all the other devices that now connect to a TV. That's why, for example, Tim Cook says when he goes into his living room to watch TV, he feels he's gone back 20 years. He thinks of all these crazy multiple devices that you have to hook up. And how does that fit in with the appliance mentality? You need a way to integrate all those devices. Well, you know, an, another solution could be, and this, of course, gets a little bit more expensive. It could be handling all this wirelessly and not even connecting it to the Apple TV device. But that means that each device has to have a sort of a wireless dongle um, going out, and HDMI does need a certain amount of bandwidth. So I don't know how realistic that is. It's would- a realistic for the future. I think a lot of companies realize that we're going to have to eventually move to totally wireless connectivity. I would love to see it. I really would. Not yet. Um, I'm a little bit worried about configuring and sort of collisions when you've got multiple things on, but it shouldn't be that complicated if there are enough different channels and you get to choose the channel. I would love to see, I'm looking at my desk, the number of wires and cables on it. Um, It's just stupendous. Half of them are AC cables that you know, things are plugged into, and the others are, you know, connector cables for iPads and iPhones, because there's a, there's a lightning connector, there's a dock connector for older devices, there's USB connector for a camera and for something else, and of course the camera and the other thing, they don't use the same mini USB or micro USB. Then there's the wires from my stereo, because I have a stereo in my office, and so the wires that go to the speakers, and uh, it's just, you know, the day that we can get rid of all these wires, God. That will come, and if Apple can integrate it better with the souped-up Apple TV on steroids. And of course, the other question is content. How do they deal with the content providers? Do they serve as a front end for your cable box, your satellite box? Well, no. part of the problem is here, then, you just integrate it. Then all you do is you plug in your satellite or cable box into your Apple TV. Yeah. And it's just another device and Apple TV will somehow better manage it. Or maybe Apple could work out deals with the cable or satellite provider saying, if you hook up your box to our system, you could let us manage the connectivity and scheduling shows and all that nonsense. We can become your TiVo or something. Uh, I'm not sure I see that happening immediately because there are so many different providers. Because remember, this isn't just the United States for something like this. This is the whole world, or at least... You know, the countries where Apple introduces product first, so North America, Europe, etc., it's exceedingly complicated. And you were telling me about the setup that you have. I understand also there is no one standard here. Yes, there's a standard, say, for, for DSL and asymmetric DSL and for cable modems. But once you start getting into the cable boxes and the way yeah. they're configured, it gets so very confusing. There's no single method or standard. Yeah. No, I, I think what Apple wants to do is continue to sell and rent as much content as they can. Let the cable box go through this hypothetical device. Um, let the Xbox go through it. They don't care if you're buying their device as a sort of a digital hub. Getting all of the cable and satellite and, and everyone else online on board is a little bit complicated. On the other hand, we remember we've been seeing apps and, and new icons added to the Apple TV interface. There's no reason why different providers and networks couldn't provide their content in that manner. Tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff. Let's see. My website, for starters, com. That's M-C-E-L-H-E-A-R-N.com. Uh, Macworld, where I've been writing an awful lot lately about iTunes 11, and where I write the Ask the iTunes Guy column twice a month. You can find more of our stuff 
At TechNightHowl.com, TechNightHowl.com, we are also known as TechNightHowl on Twitter. So follow us. Maybe neighbors will follow you. And if you have any solutions to that audio distortion bug in Mountain Lion that impacts us, send me a note. News at TechNightHowl.com. Happy New Year, Kirk McElhern. Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Happy New Year, Gene. I hope to talk to you again next year. The Tech Night Out Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.